Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Music for Education and Wellbeing podcast. Join us each month to hear ideas, inspiration and practical advice from people making change through music. These conversations are hosted by me, Anita Holford of Music Education Works and Writing Services. So I'll be focusing in particular on breaking down barriers to music through communication and advocacy, but from quite a broad perspective. I really hope you'll enjoy them. And now on with the show. Hello, it's Anita here and welcome to this episode. In this episode, I'm talking with Malachi Patterson, who is a Gloucestershire-based creative working in the music industry in a range of different roles. Where I thought you'd be interested is that Malachi has done a lot in Gloucestershire to support young people facing barriers in access to music and progression routes into the industry. So welcome and thank you for coming on, Malachi. It's been quite a while that I've been trying to persuade you to come on, so it's really (laughs) great to have you here. Thank you for coming. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Can you start by telling me about what you do in music, um, in the music industry, community music and music education, because you kind of span all those areas? Yeah. So firstly, I'm the creative director of the Music Works, uh, which is a music charity based in Gloucestershire that engages with young people through music. Um, we work in schools and across various community settings and have a large focus on working with young people in challenging circumstances, which could range from disadvantaged backgrounds or those who are in need to have disabilities just facing barriers to making music. My industry work comprised of many different things which has always been the case to be able to make a living in the creative industries. I started out in music production and sound engineering but in the more recent years I've been involved in management and working in uh, record labels. How many years have you been working in, in the industry? Oh, wow. Ask me how old you are. Speaking, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a few decades, isn't it? Close to, close <laughs> to. Not yet, but close to. Uh, right. And can you tell me how did you end up where you are today and why is it so important personally? Wow, that's a big question for me. I know I this know. because it's such, a, it's such a big journey. Um, so I didn't know I'd end up with a musical career. I just knew that music played a major role throughout my life. And as cliche as it might sound, I'm not sure where I'd be without it. It was an easy journey and at times it seemed hopeless, but perseverance and being motivated helped me break through all the barriers and adversities. I can remember being in school and my music teacher didn't understand how I said I loved music so much, but didn't engage in his music class. He didn't ever see me as musical because he never seen me play an instrument. However, um, I would always be making like mixtapes or making sounds, whatever I could around the house. And what was that weird? That was with sort of music technology or, or other things? Yeah, so I suppose I just tried to think at the time of what the technology was at the time. So I can remember uh, when I first started senior school, I would just make mixtapes. So I would, I would be recording different songs from the radio and then mixing them between each other on two different tapes. Um, and making my own version. It was just really weird what I was doing. It was just really creative. I can't even explain it because it's so strange. Um, But I was making like these mixtapes, but kind of fusing different songs together, verses and choruses, just by using a tape machine in the radio. So that was, that. I I can remember doing that vividly just because that's all the access I had at the time to be able to kind of like make music, I suppose, because instruments weren't around my house or anything like that. So that's the only way I could really make music. But... Yeah, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, was your family musical? Yes, that's what I was just about to say. So my mum used to DJ, but I don't mean like on CD decks or anything. It's a Jamaican term for rap. So that was um, the genre reggae dancehall. Um, so that had a massive influence on me. 
and my dad was part of a reggae sound system so we used to build the speakers that would be used so for example the reason why we see dance djs now whether that be on cds usbs or vinyl is because there was a Jamaican-born DJ called Cool Herc who had a sound system and he developed a t technique of mixing back and forth between two identical records to extend kind of like rhythms and the instrumental segment or break. So that had a massive influence to me as well. So around that same time, like, that's why I think I got the idea of recording from the radio and mixing two tapes together because yeah. my dad was in like this reggae sound system. So I was really influenced by music at a young age, but it just wasn't your traditional musical instrument playing sort of, so it's just a, it's a different type of music I was interested in. This influence wouldn't have any correlation to school. When I tried to take my influences into my music lesson, it was just shut down because my teacher was only interested in classical movements or, you know, songs. So he wasn't able to understand that what I was doing is even music. And did you have friends who were into the same sort of music, friends in school? Sam, but my school wasn't that diverse so I think maybe in my year group there were maybe three other people from kind of Afro-Caribbean descent so like our culture would be very similar we'd listen to the same music but mostly all my friends even though we were maybe listening to a lot of modern music so at the time there might have been like a lot of garage or stuff like that which a lot of young people listen to I would say they were, they were brought up on a lot of like rock which I wasn't really you know, my parents didn't really listen to that, so, you know, I wasn't really influenced by rock or anything like that, so I still felt like there was even more distance between my musical interest to kind of my white counterpart then. So it was really strange because I knew I loved music, but what I knew as music in British culture, it didn't exist, so I didn't feel musical, only when I went home. How weird, that must be. I know. <laughs> so you're in, you know, secondary school, music lessons and not enjoying them and just not yeah. feeling you yeah. were very good at it. Yeah. I was very it's musical, different. yeah. And I, I think it was maybe like, I think it might have been year 10 in, in senior school because I didn't choose music as a subject and that was crazy as well. Um, and I can remember there was a new software that came out. I think it was called Music 2000 at the time or something like that. And it was an opportunity you could create music from scratch. So like um, produce music on a computer. And that really started to kind of get my kind of musical juices flowing. Um, and like growing up in the inner city of Gloucester, you don't really get much aspirations to achieve in the creative industries or like, um, you, you don't really, yeah. <laughs> so you don't really Changing, even think, of, yeah. <laughs> so you don't even really think of a career in music as possible. So mm. as I said, it wasn't until kind of like, garage and then grime music started to build on the underground scene I started to find an interest in what I wanted to do musically so when this software came out I found myself started to make garage beats or grime beats and again this is all with my home and my community so a lot of the times I would just like invite friends around and make music together but then any time we'd go back into school and rap my teacher just thought I was just talking gibberish you know oh. <laughs> did you find any value in do you think that the sort of maybe music theory or sort of fundamentals about music that you learned in school have actually helped you in some ways that didn't come till later on in school I just did not understand music it just was like a foreign language to me and it wasn't until I started to become a sound engineer in a recording studios then I started to work with like all different genre so I started working with folk artists and then I started learning more about theory of music and understanding oh my god I, I know all this stuff already it's just 
I just know the practical side. So it wasn't that hard to put the two together, but I had to go on that journey myself to understand that. Um, and so how did you get from being in school, not being involved in music in school? And then, you know, what happened after you left school, for example, were you able to begin to make some money from your music or did it take quite a so while? So it took quite a while to start with. So when I left school, I just went on a random college course because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't even think I could go to university, which was strange. I didn't think it was an option. No one ever told me it was an option. One of my sisters was the first person to go to university out of all my family that, you know, since my um, grand coming over in the Windrush generation, none of our families ever went to university. So my sister was the first person. So I didn't even think that was possible so like having an educational route college was for me just a thing just to pass time um Is younger than you then or she's a year older but the difference is like she was the brain she was the brainy one in the family so I just thought I just went to college and as I said I just I think it was like a computer course I chose but then because I had this software I just continued doing music as a hobby um from home with friends and I just started to get better and I was growing. And at the same time, I was growing with that kind of like London underground music scene that was emerging, which grime was starting to get bigger and bigger. So I was just ending up sort of learning from watching early DVDs of people in the grime scene making music. And I was just like learning from that. So it was just all staff learning, really. Um, and then I can remember I, I dropped out of college in the first year, which my mum wasn't happy about. But then I just ended up getting a factory job. And then just started taking music a bit more serious. And, and then I just started developing confidence and then decided to start putting music on CDs and vinyl. And then either selling them independently or putting them in a local shop and getting sale and return on them. Little did I know, it was just like building a whole community of artists and seeing within Gloucester. It was just really strange. Like, wow. you know, when I looked around, it was like, okay, well, there was a community radio station. We had our own show. We were using the youth clubs of places to perform. Um, and share music we had our music in the stores and then we used to um, promote our own events so it's like we had our own little mini industry <laughs> I remember that th you were involved with that video that came out yeah the DVD yeah 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 Street Legends yeah <laughs> so um, yeah so that's amazing that was a real kind of coming up from the grassroots people who are DIY producing yeah. and producing the music as well as marketing it and putting on gigs events yeah and you know what when I look back at different genres of music especially like black genres they're very similar like if you look at hip-hop or Motown it's quite in like the disadvantaged community areas that people would band together to create art and it was just very similar to that where people a lot of people just came together to make music so I think we just formed that community and even that GR Street Legends was, I think there was probably over, there's probably over a hundred artists on that DVD and that's just strange to know in wow. Gloucestershire. Definitely. And it was so underground, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I, I hadn't heard of it at the time. Um, I heard about it afterwards and I think you and Dread yeah. Yeah, yeah. gave me a copy of it, but it, that had been years ago You know, it was old by yeah. then, wasn't it? I was really surprised that there was this amazing, vibrant scene going on. I, I can't even believe then we made many of it. You know, the, all those DVDs, we sold out like twice. There was so, And there was a massive audience for it. But it was just with all within our community. So, yeah, it was just really built from the ground up. And then from there, everything, I don't like to say luck, but I feel like I was just in the right place at the right time with certain things. So I can remember going to... Cheltenham to a studio called Yellow Shark. This is when I think probably Grime, 
I thought I was to, to kind of step out and make some more commercial music to try and make money from music. I was just in the studio and I said to the owner, I said, oh, I would really love to master my own music because I'm not happy with the sound like the other engineer was it. And he said, well, if you know how to use the equipment, you're more than happy to use it. And I said, oh, wow. I, and that, at that time, this is like a professional recording studio. I've never been in it. I only know home studio, like a computer and a mouse and a keyboard. <laughs> and I said, um, hey, would you be happy if I could spend a week in here to learn? And he's like, mm, okay, then, if, you, if you're willing to pay the time to um, be in here at the time. So I said, okay, yeah, fair enough. I wow. saved up. And I spent a whole week in the studio just learning every single thing, like... I didn't think YouTube existed then, so I think I might have, I don't know how I was learning to know some of the stuff, but I just managed to, it was just self-learning and then. So th there wasn't an engineer there with you? No, at that time, no, not that time. I, <laughs> no, he, <laughs> he gave me the bit, he gave me the basics of how, um, obviously to set it all up. And then when I had that software in that home studio, the kind of basics are all the same as a large studio, but it's just all analog. Mm. So I was able to quickly work out what was what, like the recording process and everything. And then he just threw me in the deep end and said, do you want to take a session? And I was like, yeah, why not? And then honestly, everything, that's why I said a part of it is luck because I think it's right place, right time. And then like, then before I knew it, I was working in that studio and then I was bringing in other artists from Gloucester to the studio. And then I started working with them in more of a managerial role because I learned how to kind of release music and, and then able to leave your factory job by then or yeah so yeah I think probably about three years after I left college and I was in my factory job I was only there yeah probably three to four years and then I just left my factory job and then I started to learn about kind of and I think that's I don't I can't remember what age I met you but um this is when I really started to learn more about community music but I've been doing it it's weird I've been doing community music all my life but I didn't class it as community music I just classed it as I'm just doing music um yeah, and it's I a way remember. to make a living but it was your approach wasn't it because it wasn't yeah. just about you are working in the community it was actually about that inclusive approach and the way you work with people yeah so from the yellow shop um the studio that really developed my professionalism i mean i end i ended up through there i ended up working with a lot of big bands and like artists like dion warwick and martha reeves and everything like that which really <laughs> i suppose developed me as a you know as a professional in that sense and i learned I'll so say, much things the nerves <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah as, and then and alongside that then that's when I started to do more community music work so I stumbled across organizations like CCP, Gloucester, Gloucester Music Forum, I was trying to remember the name because it's changed so much and then yeah Forrester D Music Makers and then kind of like it snowballed from there and then I'm sure there's a load of story I missed yeah, out between no, then no, and no, now. That's fine. And it's often about people, isn't it? Because I know that Mark Bick, who ran Frosting Music Makers, which then became Gloucestershire Music Makers, which then became the Music Works, was quite um, central in bringing you into a community music yeah. sector. And you picked up lots of skills from him as well, didn't you? Like yeah. Picked up from Yellow Shark. Is yeah. Exactly that. I mean, I have to say, actually, yeah, Mark did really bring me into that kind of community music scene. And it's strange because I, I was, I'd never seen anything like it or I didn't realise I could even go into a school to teach music or go into like a, um, I don't know, a youth club setting and teach something. And so he really developed my confidence in that area as well. So that was good. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it was music mentoring approach 
that's slightly different to traditional music teaching, isn't it? That yeah. is, is the difference and that you were already doing because that's just the type of person you yeah. are, the type of way you work with people. Wow. And that's, that's it. After, really yeah, after, after time, after a bit of time, I was like, oh, this is what I do anyway. So it's actually not that scary. Like you just said, I was doing it anyway, but just unconsciously sort of thing. Yeah, that's brilliant. What a fantastic story. And a lot of the young people you work with have similar experience to you, don't they? And um, they're highly musical, but maybe their potential or, or their interest and commitment and their passion for it isn't often recognised during their school years. Um, mm. And that maybe they didn't have lessons or the only options available to them were traditional groups and ensembles. That might be classical music, it might be rock music, but either way, it's not the sort of music that they want to make. Um, so can yeah. you tell me a little bit about the young people you work with now and the sort of barriers they face? Yeah, I believe there's a lot of young people who fall into that category. And there's a lot of barriers that, you know, that force young people to enable to access music lessons. I mean, a way huge factor is cost, another is representation. They don't see someone who looks like they're maybe teaching the session or something you know and last but not least is maybe the material or the type of music that is being taught I would imagine if it was more modern or more appealing or culturally appealing more young people from disadvantaged backgrounds would be interested a lot of these young people also feel wanted in these places because predominantly it is aimed at white middle class children yeah so what what would you say if somebody said well and I've, I've heard this before from mm. sort of places all o over the UK well we don't stop anybody from coming <laughs> <laughs> the thing is I hear that a lot as well and the thing is yeah that's right yeah you know you do have an open doors policy but you just won't be engaging with those young people we're talking about because as I said they don't see representation they won't come in because of cost. There's huge barriers. So even though they're saying they're opening the doors, there's those invisible barriers that are put up that young people won't access. So the organisation can feel they're being inclusive or diverse, but until you break down those barriers, I don't really believe you are being inclusive or diverse, you know? What sort of things do people need to bear in mind about that? You know, for somebody, for example, who's running a weekly music project that is attracting really not a diverse group of young people, what things do they need to think about and what areas do they need to try to change? So I always say as well, try and put yourself in the position of the young person. And I have a saying, it's, it's difficult to aspire to be what you can't see. So, you know, so if there's a class of full of white middle class children practicing classical music and you're a black child and happen to be from a lower economic group who has musical influences from different culture backgrounds, how will that be appealing to you or even make you feel coming into that setting? So it could be even little things about the choices of music genre you use or the staff, you know, the representation. Are you employing staff from diverse cultural backgrounds? You know, access could be subsidized as well some organizations specialize in particular genres so mm. um, some specialize in classical music and it is this isn't we're not trying to slam classical music here are we not at all but, you know there are small things that you can do within whatever genre you know even if you you feel that a particular genre is your specialism there's things within that without changing the genre but also the issue of publicly funded music education and genres does need to be addressed doesn't it yeah, I mean, even just going back to my experience, you know, like I said, 
it wasn't until I was probably early 20s until I realised music theory had a big part to play in my learning for my professional development. However, if I knew that when I was 14 or 15, I would have probably went to somewhere like Gloucestershire Music. But at that age, it was intimidating for me because I was like, why do I want to go there? Like, I don't see anyone else of my from my background there. I don't see any representation there. I don't have an interest in the music. So why would I go there? And it's really hard to understand that when you're young, actually, like, you know, sometimes you have to come out of your comfort zone, yes, but also organisations have a responsibility as well. Yeah, so I suppose that's where youth voice is so important, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Actually talking to young people in your local area, a diverse range of young people, than maybe about what you offer and what you can offer and asking them how you make it more inclusive. Mm. I suppose that leads us on to one of the debates that's been around a lot recently, which is about the colonisation of music education. There was a sort of seminar organised recently, which involved Jimmy Rotherham from Feversham School. Mm. that has been in the news a lot recently, and he organised this seminar about the colonisation of music education, had a number of speakers. It was absolutely fascinating. So I just wondered if you could talk to me a little about um, this idea that Western European culture generally is so deeply embedded as, as a sort of pinnacle of achievement. It, it, we, we almost hardly notice it in all sorts of ways in education. And Yeah, I mean, you can just see that alone from the whole grading system. You know, when someone asks you, do you play music? <laughs> the next question is, what grade are you? You know, th- this, mm. is in, this is in Britain. However, if you look at, I don't know, Afro-Caribbean culture of music, it's all around the enjoyment and the taking part. And... Uh, it's very different it's like very very different so even when I was talking about the community I was involved in to making music it was actually just the taking part and the involvement of it there was no um achieving do you know what I mean it was just about the fun and being involved yeah yeah that's it um definitely and I also think within that kind of the British music education as well there's also kind of it's very formal this is how you should listen to music this is how Mm. you should play music and you know it's very structured like that and I think there is a lot of implicit bias if you bring something else to the table as a society you know they they frown when you talk about rap but with champion spoken word you know how is rap so different to Shakespeare he used rhyme rhythm and slang in all his plays but so I think sometimes there's underlying kind of prejudice which is a common thing which we all do as humans you know So part of the difficulty is around language and part of the way we can do something about it is by checking our language, isn't it? And sort of just Mm. thinking about the language that's used and how things are labelled. And I suppose an example of that perhaps is spoken word. Just wondered what your thoughts were on the spoken word rap definitions. Yeah, for example, spoken word is definitely accepted within British society and I think it's highly regarded, but it's exactly no different from rap and what is being done for the last 20, 30 years, but which has not been championed. So I do think there's prejudgment towards it, which is an embedded stereotype. And I think with spoken word, you know, it is more palatable for Western Europeans rather than rap. And I know that you have lots of interesting conversations with the people you work with, don't you, about, mm. about language and about terminology and about the difficulties that genres can sometimes present young people come into the studio don't they uh, with lyrics that that are maybe sexist or maybe slightly violent because that's a little element of that culture but it's not all of it is it no and that's it like 
a lot of rap comes from self-expression and that's how rappers first started. If you look back when rap originated, they just said what they saw around them. And I think there's no different to today. Like a lot of young people rap about their experiences, what they see. So it's all self-expression. And I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think it's important to champion that. However, they can be challenged then to how they develop that, you know, and how they build off that. So I wanted to just move us on to talk about Gloucestershire and Gloucester a little. I'm biased, obviously, because I'm from Gloucestershire. <laughs> but Gloucester and the creative community have definitely changed in the last sort of five years, haven't they? And just wondered if you could tell me a little bit about what's been happening. And it's partly it's, it's relevant to this conversation because it's partly as a result of this more diverse and inclusive and creative community that's being developed. Yeah. So firstly, I just want to kind of raise the fact that Gloucester is very multicultural, but in Treadworth is one of the most diverse areas in the UK. There's like over 100 different languages that are spoken in that area alone. So I think if we look at the Black and ethnic minority community, there is a lot in Gloucester already. So now more things are being programmed where it's um, more diverse. You're seeing more people come out and engage with it. So for example, like the King's Jam Festival, which we programmed for the, the third year, we had 2,000 young people come out to that, where some of the councillors and everyone said, like, they don't even know where these young people come from. They've never seen all these young people in the city centre before. However, they come out and engage in that. And I think it's important that if we do really want to engage with these communities, then we have to make sure that we're programming things that is reflective of their culture. And tell us a little bit about the sort of artists and the, the type of genres of music that are involved in King's Jam. Yeah, so it's mainly all around urban music. So there's R&B, there's a lot of rap, hip hop, dances in that, a lot of street dance as well. So that's stemming also from the hip hop culture. And it is still very diverse. I mean, it's not even all just black artists as well. You still have white artists taking part in rap and, you know, diverse genres. If you look at urban music now, <laughs> it's very diverse. You know, you have all different people from all different backgrounds. It's British culture now, I would say, you know, a lot of urban music is just youth culture. So, and that's what it reflects, really. And the creative community, the musical community in Gloucester is really changing, isn't it? Because the young people that you work with through the music works and particularly the Upsurge programme for artist development, they're really making great strides and being noticed an awful lot around Gloucestershire but actually beyond that you tell me a little bit about some of those artists and, and the changes. So some of the artists now are making some real huge achievements and that's through genres that wouldn't normally get recognised before they're now getting recognised even actually on a national scale so when artists even it's actually just come off a tour in Australia Another artist has just done an advert for a local brand company. Even a local artist in Gloucester, he wasn't on the Upsurge programme, but, you know, he's within the Gloucester scene. He's just done a, the advert for Apple Music. So wow. there's a lot, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot happening in Gloucester at the moment for artists of kind of like the urban music scene and everything like that. However, I do still think we have a long way to go and um, some progress is being made, but... I do still think there's a lot more to do because, for example, even though these artists are doing a lot, sometimes they're championed more outside of the city rather than oh, right. on the yeah, rather than on the local media channels and everything like that. It's still very difficult for them to get a lot of support. 
Oh, that's interesting because I see it from an organisational perspective and, and there's a lot of investment now in those young artists and respect really among funders, you know, Arts Council, PRS Foundation, which just didn't happen before, did it? And if you yeah. think back to when you and Dread and that whole community started, that was just absolutely DIY with no funding from anybody, no support from anybody. But now um, young artists in similar position in Gloucester can come to you, can come to the Music Works and they will yeah. get some support and development. So that's changed but I can hear in your voice that you're frustrated (laughs) you know things aren't moving fast enough yeah there is that it's the things are not moving fast enough but then also there's so it's great what's happening on the ground there's a lot more engagement with like you said funders organizations but at that senior level there's still a lack of representation and I think that is the next issue now that we need to address yeah, definitely. So that was going to be in the next question I was going to ask you was just <laughs> yeah. um, what's helped you to achieve what you've achieved so far? And, and more importantly, I guess, what you pass on to other people trying to do something similar in terms of representation and diversity, maybe in other areas. I know you feel you, you've got a long way to go, but you've obviously learned a lot along the way. And so what would you recommend to other people? Or what more would you like to happen in Gloucester? So starting with people being appointed, how would that happen? How could that happen? I think upon looking for staff, you need to think about how you're recruiting that staff, where you're going to, who you're marketing it to, because otherwise you're just going to get the same recruitments all the time. And I think you have to think about how that process is being managed as well. Yeah, good point. And I guess that goes back to that similar to youth voice, kind of adult voice, that's representative voice. You ask people, ask the people in the groups that you want to attract, where will we put this? What what will we say? Maybe test it with them. Anything else you wanted to say around that? Well, you're talking about my experiences growing up as well and everything. So I suppose I wouldn't change my experiences because it's made me who I am. However, along the journey, there's been some adversities that have been, so I I suppose, quite fascinating that I'm still doing what I am doing today, just because everything that was against me. Motivation and determination play a huge part. And I think there are still underlying issues that are still prevalent today, which I think will still be very hard for young people from disadvantaged backgrounds to maybe um, have a similar journey to mine. And as I said, it's just, I think there's a lot of organisations just need to look at what they're doing and how they're being inclusive or diverse and not just saying it. Yeah. And I was going to say that also, also is reflective of the actual music industry as well. There is a lot of success with musicians from kind of black and minority kind of ethnic deaths, the artists, maybe producers. But we need to see, again, more representation in the senior levels of the music industry. Mm. You know, what's the makeup of the board? What's the makeup of the senior team? And again, you've had discussions about that in the Music Works, haven't you? A lot about you know, yeah. who's represented from board level to senior management to the music leaders. And yeah. sort of coming back to what you said before, really, really important that music leaders come from all sorts of backgrounds. Yeah, it's very important. It's again, it's just I know I've said this word so many times now, but it's representation. Like a young person sometimes, especially if they're very anxious, if they can see someone that looks like them or they, you know, someone who they think that person actually reflects me, that will also help them stop being anxious to go and talk to that person and start building up a relationship with that organisation. And I'm particularly interested in communications and how that affects young people's perception of whether music education is for them. And that definitely speaks to that, doesn't it? What would you Mm. share with other people about that? We had a lot of conversations about that when we were working together. (laughs) What sort of things did you share with me? And what sort of things did you want to share with me about communications? What should people bear in mind? 
I think it's that youth voice that you said before. I think it's really important that you talk to the people that you plan on communicating with or marketing to, just because normally it's always done for that group and they're never involved in the conversation. However, they should be leading the conversation and they can tell you, you know, the language that should be used, um, where they access things or how they access things or what would they access. So it starts with a conversation with that group. Yeah, that just made me think about that ladder of youth participation diagram. Mm. And you can actually apply that to communications, couldn't you? It starts with sort of tokenism, goes through consultation, but then actually goes up to young people having control and decision making. And actually, you know, you've done takeovers of of social media and things like that. Yeah. So that's the pinnacle of getting diverse young people involved in in what you do is by giving away some of your power to them. Yeah, young people's at the heart of all what we do so that we make sure they're involved in every single process, even with the new studio build that we've got coming out in January, they've been involved right from the design stage up until now where we're planning with the builders where, you know, we want fix-ins, they're involved in every all all of the conversations really can you tell me just briefly because I realize we haven't talked about this at all about the new studio which is really exciting in, in Gloucester yeah so hopefully the build should be starting in the next month or so um, and it's going to be the first fully music inclusive hub in Gloucester we will have six studio suites which will be made up of recording rooms rehearsal rooms a broadcast room there'll be a facilitation room and there'll also be a venue space inside so young people can share their music can perform we can run events for young people um, and it would just be a networking place and a place for young people to come and chill out so it's like a one-stop shop for all young creatives really so we're really excited for that and hopefully we should be open in January 2021. Very exciting and yeah. finally you shared loads of tips and advice can you try and sort of sum those up for people just say three practical pieces of advice or three things perhaps that you'd like to see happen in music education in the next few years? Oh wow I don't think I have all the answers to these just I things. Know, that, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when I think local organisations and schools to have open and honest conversations about discrimination and how they can truly be inclusive and diverse. Don't be frightened of certain words like racism and really understand the barriers that are there for young people to access. So yeah, that's the first. Second, I would like to see some change to the curriculum so students can learn more wider than just classical music. Um, And that also goes to education as a whole. I think the curriculum needs a big shake to reflect the diversity of students that attend now. And then third, oh, maybe for us to start looking at the modern creative industries and how the education system can feed into progression routes to that. Because at the moment, I do think there's a big void between kind of music education and the music industry. Such good tips. That's brilliant. (laughs) Thank you so much. And we've come to the end. It's been so lovely to talk to you, Malachi. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. And if you'd like to find out more about Malachi and his work and the Music Works and anybody else we've mentioned, I'll be sharing links and information in the notes that accompany this podcast. So thanks very much for listening. That's the end of our show this time. Thank you for listening to the Music for Education and Wellbeing podcast and make sure to subscribe so that you get to hear about future episodes. 
If you'd like to be on the podcast or you'd like to know more about me and how I help music and creative organisations through communications, then visit writing-services.co.uk and get in touch. Thanks for listening and have a great week.